What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. It's great to be with you. On this episode, I interviewed Grace Ballridge, who goes by the musical name Semler. Now, I gotta say, Grace is the kind of person that if we were friends in real life, I would love to hang around. She's sarcastic, she's funny, she's witty, and um, she has like some really good perspectives that I think many Christians, especially those in the American evangelical church, need to hear. So if you're not familiar, Grace actually released a worship album um, under her name, Semler, that actually hit number one on iTunes. The catch, though, is that the the album um, is very raw. It includes profanity, and Grace is someone who is in the LGBTQ community. In fact, she's actually married to her wife. So I think that is a recipe for that to churn heads in the CCM space, and it definitely did. In fact, uh, the Gospel Coalition wrote a review about the album, so it's definitely made a splash. On this episode, we talk about that. We talk about the recording process, the writing process. Also, we get a lot of her thoughts on growing up in church culture, what that was like for her and how do we church the push up uh, how do we church the push wow I'm sorry let me say it again how do we push the church forward I am not gonna edit that I'm gonna leave that in um so it was a really great discussion and interview grace like I said is someone who I just really enjoyed talking to and let it be known I say this in, during the interview if she's ever in the Philadelphia area cheesesteak on me okay Last thing I'll say briefly, of course, listen, there's no other way for me to say this creatively, so I'll just be blunt. If you have not given us a review or a rating, please do that. It really, really, really helps us. This podcast is actually growing, which is so cool. So having you um, do that and subscribe and share this episode just helps get the word out. So many of you have given me great feedback so far, which I'm so grateful for. So um, I hope you all enjoy this episode, and I will stop talking. All right, talk to you all soon. All right, friends, welcome back. Another episode of the New Evangelicals podcast. This is now my second blue checkmark person <laughs> on my on my podcast. So I feel like I am just skyrocketing to the top of the charts here. I have Grace Ballridge with me. Grace, welcome, and thank you for making time. Thank you so much for having me. I am deeply embarrassed that you opened with that, but thank you, I suppose, Instagram for sure an arbitrary check. Yeah. yeah, sure. I'm sure that blue check mark came with a nice bonus check. You know, all your problems it, went yeah. away. Yeah. That's what they don't tell you. You get paid. <laughs> you don't. I want to be clear if anyone's wondering, you do, nothing happens. It doesn't change a thing. <laughs> uh, it is ironic how, like, Social media algorithms have done such a good job of convincing us that getting a blue check mark will like solve your problem. Like it's um, when you think about it, we're really we're duped. They got us. <laughs> well, it started actually, I think, as a as a very like altruistic thing, which was that fans, well-meaning fans, would yes. make accounts called like the Demi Lovatos or something <laughs> right. like that. Yeah, right. And then they would have to verify which account was actually because before you'd have celebrities or major players and media, they'd have right. to make accounts that were like the real yeah. Demi Lovato Official. or like the real so-and-so. <laughs> exactly. Official yeah. so-and-so. Yeah. And so that's how Checkmark started. But you're right that it has warped into this strange sense of like so-and-so like more important. I don't know. I think it's all kind of silly. And I think like our, it'll be hard to explain to like our kids generations <laughs> totally. down the line. They're going to be like, what do you mean blue check marks? Right. Like what is it? Yeah. I mean, I have a 10 month old and the thought of telling him about Instagram and like how many years from now, like who knows? Never do it. 
<laughs> never do it. Just never tell him. Move off the grid now, Tim. Well, my, my wife is very much of that persuasion. I mean, she's preparing for the zombie apocalypse. Like, we're, we're ready, you know? Like, she's ready for the end of the world to happen, so... Yeah. Anyway, Tim, yeah, I think but, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's. I think we're in it, Tim. Well, I, and I think part of that—that's a great segue, Grace. <laughs> oh, because, you're welcome. Because you you recently dropped an EP, right? And you it skyrocketed to the top of the Christian charts. But this was this was anything other than like your typical, you know, elevation worship album <laughs> in every yeah. way, shape, and form, right? Like in musicality, lyrically. So why don't you give our listeners kind of like how would you describe your your album and like and and also how you pulled off maybe one of like the greatest Rick rolls of like all time <laughs> of the Christian music industry. The floor is all yours. All right. Well, a Rickroll, I think, implies that the record is more gimmicky than perhaps it is. But I understand the comparison because I am a queer Christian. If you can't see me, then I am what you might call like a hundred foot gay, which is like a hundred feet away. You're like that person's gay. Like, I don't know specifics, but like I'm easy to read. I've come oh far my, enough in I'm my sorry. personal journey. <laughs> Have I you not heard, heard that before? That no, I, I'm I just... forget the audience I'm with. So I'm yeah, tickled. No, that's, that's common queer vernacular. You got the hundred footers. It's like the, the point is, is that like, what does a gay person look like? I don't know, but straight people will see me and they'll be like, I don't know what a gay person looked like, but that's one. Like there, there is one. I just feel like as someone who is a, <laughs> a cisgendered straight male, I have no room to ever assume anything like that. So if you want to say it, that's fine. I will never say that though. What you just said is correct. You should not, you should not make that a segment on the show. <laughs> Being like gay. I mean, no, you shouldn't, but I can say that. So yeah, did, yeah. roundabout way of saying that, like, yes, I wrote this record from a queer perspective unpacking religious trauma that I had not dealt with that mm. I kind of assumed I didn't have because my dad ended up who's, who is a preacher. He's an Episcopal priest. Um, he ended up being really accepting. And so when that happened, when I was accepted by my family, sort of mentally, I was like, Oh, let's just wash our hands of any of the bad stuff. It never happened. It doesn't matter because your family loves you. And that's, what's important. Yeah. And then what happened in quarantine was I, mm. I was just alone with my thoughts. I downloaded TikTok. I started uh, going through the ex-evangelical hashtag, uh -huh. progressive Christian hashtag. Yep. And I started seeing all these stories, all the, these memories started flooding to the top. I was revisiting CCM music that I grew up with. Yep. And it was like, and I've always been writing music. I, I've been a songwriter for a while, but then all of a sudden it was like probably... September to November, I was just really flooded with like, I was just writing and thinking and mulling over different things. Not all of it made the record that would become Preacher's Kid, okay, but a lot of it did. Um, and then I just wrote it and I, t my wife listened and she was like, I think you know, I told her, I was like, I think I wrote a Christian record as a joke. And then she was like, but why couldn't it be a Christian record? Right, like right. you're a Christian and you wrote this music from your Christian perspective. Why could it be a Christian record? And that's right. when I started like the wheels started spinning of like, mm. yeah, why is there this boundary yes. on the type of music and experience I can speak to totally. because elevation worship doesn't want to like book me on a ticket or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, because Caleb right. is never going to play me. Right. I'm an independent artist. I can release this on my own. I can denote right. what genre I want. What are these arbitrary rules? Who are these gatekeepers? Right. Yes. Why has this not been challenged? Yes. So that's sort of how, so preachers came out in February 
And I thought it'd be cool if we cracked top 40 and we were at number one for like three or four days. And it was incredible that we were able to sort of do that because I heard directly from CCM executives in 2020 that uh, uh, that my type of story was not something that there was a market for. Right. And there is, there clearly is. I mean, look at the, oh, yeah. the, the, your show as well. Like there's a market for these stories. So yeah. that's the, that's the, the, in a nutshell, what happened? Well, I definitely am with you that it just shows um, maybe how these people in these positions think that they have a pulse on Christian culture and they're really missing out on like a huge subculture that is exploding right now. This like deconstruction, rethinking, um, you know, LGBTQ inclusive space um, is just like. It's just, it's huge. I mean, and, and we've all kind of, been, I feel like a lot of us have been pushed to social media because our churches didn't want to hear it. So we've kind of made this our church in a weird way. I'm not a social media, I know that it's so limited, right? Like there's no mm-hmm. real community happening like face to face, but we've kind of made it something. We kind of made it work. So you, so you do this and um, you release this this album. And I want now at this point, I know who you are because I first found you when you did the mosaic video where you were interviewing. Yeah. That's that was a couple of years ago, so, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so that's sort of what I was doing. And I was like privately writing music, kind of releasing it in a more low key way. Yeah. I was doing this documentary series that explored the intersection of faith and American life. And yes. one of our episodes was about mega churches. And then our very last episode, which is why I was thinking about this before quarantine was about the Christian music industry. So I just come off with being in that world and now I'm alone at home and I'm right. unpacking all these things and I'm writing this music and it ends up being a CCM project. Yeah. So have you, have you like played on worship teams? Like, have you been in that space no, as like no, a volunteer? No. no. Okay. Okay. No, just like I've been too gay for too long. Like I haven't, <laughs> I think now I, it's, it's complicated because I've had, I've been thinking about worship music, of course, like CCM is worship music right now. Like that's, that's what totally. people think of. Totally. And, it, and, and, and a lot of that was a major criticism for this project was people were like, it doesn't praise God. Yeah, and totally. I was like, that's because you only know CCM from like the past five or 10 years. Yes. But that's, but there were records well before that were in the genre that were a mix of a lot of different expressions and perspectives. You've just only known Hillsong. And so you yes. think that that's what it takes to be in the genre. But that's what that that's a strange rule. When did that come into play? It's just because that's how right. they've marketed it. Exactly. It, you know, the, the, the K Love type. They know their audience, and they want to hear you know the newest Elevation tune radio edit. You know, like that's what they yeah. want to hear. But you're absolutely does, wait. Right. Does Elevation need to have a radio edit? Like, what are they editing out on some of their what? songs? Like, like the song "Do It Again," for example. It's like seven minutes long. So they they trim down like the bridge and stuff. <laughs> oh, they, yeah. That's what it yes. Is. Yes. Like it has to be three minutes and thirty seconds. So that's like the. <laughs> for, I thought you were gonna blow my mind and be like, is Elevation? <laughs> Dropping f bombs. What's the radio edit? Yeah, <laughs> you haven't heard that version. <laughs> if you play like, the record backwards, you know. <laughs> they're like Bethel has been real edgy recently. They've been going crazy. Next level <laughs> shit. Yeah. You know I mean? Um. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, you're absolutely right. I don't want to show my age. I'm 32. So when I was growing up, I mean, I had like the Underoath bands. You know, Emery. Yeah. Like band. These were like they were Christians making music. So you're right, though. Like the Christian music space has become this praise and worship like 
industry, and I, as someone who's drummed in that industry for now twenty something years until recently, I, I, I mean, I've been in that world. Like it's, it's a very interesting world. So, so you said something interesting. You said that 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 you were gay for too long to be a part of that ministry, like movement. What does that mean? Like, like have you just been quote unquote out for that long, and you know that churches wouldn't accept you? What does that mean? So yeah. Um... Basically, it means that when I came, when I started coming out, I also started checking out from, from like gatherings of faith. There was, it was like, I remember like some of the last worship events that I went to. And it was when I was still closeted to most people. There were, maybe there might be like one or two people that in the room that knew, but like most people didn't. And I remember there were just a few things that sort of happened that went down where I just, kind of, I don't know if I said it explicitly in my brain, but I just was like, I'm never going to come out in this space. I'm never mm. going to come out in this space. Mm. So when I, when I did feel safe to come out was when I was actually really not attending church. And so then when I, this, then I started coming out, coming out. And as I, because it's a, it's a process, like I didn't just like come out and then like started shaving a mullet into my head. Like it took a while, some people that's great, but for me, it took like a process right. and throughout that process, the strange thing was I was getting closer to God mm-hmm. every step. Like I feel more secure in my faith than ever. I was getting yeah. closer to God, but way further from organized religion. Yes. So yes. that's that. what I mean with like, I've been too gay for too long. I never was, uh, I never was like around a, a, a worship community um, for long enough to like be on the worship team. But because I'd already started leaving, because I started like the process of coming out for me, like coming out to myself, started when I was really young. Okay. But I wasn't, but it took until I think I wasn't out to everybody in my life until I was like 21. And then now I'm like out in the world. I wasn't looking for a church. I was still looking for God, but I just wasn't looking for a church because I knew that like I've, I've, I don't want to do do that. I, I've almost, it's almost like because my dad's a priest and I, I was always around religion and organized religion. I like peek behind the curtains enough to be like, I don't really need you right now. Mm. I don't, I don't need these people in these communities right now. Eventually I did find it with my wife, but there isn't really like a worship team that I, I do MC stuff for them. Like I host shit for them and I do things like that, but I, I don't feel now that I'm more like I've landed and I feel yeah. more stable. I just don't want to go into worship spaces because I know that that was some of my like saddest times and memories were when I was closeted at worship events and I totally. just don't love them yeah. all the time. And so I don't want to sign up. So where I have to show up, yeah. if totally. sometimes I do feel like going to like a worship type service and sure. then I can make that decision and go and I'll yeah. have a good experience. But I know that if I had to go every Sunday, I would melt down. <laughs> well, that. I mean, that, that's a fair, a fair point because, and even though our situations are very different as far as like the fuel, a lot of the same thoughts kind of came to my surface as well. Of like, if I'm in this space singing these songs about whatever, and I don't either agree or, or, I, or I don't see it happening, like that's a weird tension to be in. And like, what's up with all of this like battle language yeah. that we're doing? And like, we're talking about, about loving our cities, but we're 
in a building, like putting on a huge event and like light show. So, you know, I I think from what I can tell about you, you would be wrestling for many reasons, even beyond, you know, um, the, the LGBTQ issue of like, is this even like the best way to be doing this? Like it's so produced. And as a musician, I love that. I love the production. It's great playing in pro level with pro level gear all day. But at some point it's like, if this is, this is worship music, it's, it eventually kind of rings hollow. So you Mm -hmm. said that, that, that your dad was Episcopalian priest. Yes. So, what? How did you get from growing up Episcopalian to like kind of being in like this mega church or like more like evangelical, flashy world and kind of exiting? What was that process like? Well, yeah. So, for those of the people who don't know, perhaps like an Episcopal tradition is closest is like would be closely compared to maybe a Catholic tradition. We yes. have the robes, it's hymns. Right. There would be maybe like a fun worship service every few weeks, but it's pretty much organ based type of uh liter very heavy in the liturgy type yes. of denomination right and so that's what i grew up with and then because you want to spice it up there would always be like networking with other churches so right. i didn't experience the mega church flair sort of that non-denominational yes. approach to worship at my home church but right. my dad was always networking with like other churches in the area and whenever we'd go on mission trips it was usually through like a young life or a, uh-huh. a youth type of organization that totally. would that was of that tradition so that's how i got introduced to it and it's complicated because when you grow up in a very heavy liturgical denomination where mm-hmm. your dad is the leader so you're <laughs> always like I'm always, it's just, it feels like my dad's work. It's like hard to explain. It's not, it's a different feeling than if okay. you were going to just some church. Right. Um, it was really cool to go to these environments where there would be a light show and they'd have improv people and right. there'd be like the sermons felt more dynamic because right. it wasn't from my dad. Right. Like it was right. from different people. More casual younger. probably too, you know, more relaxed. Yeah, my out. friends would be there. Yeah, for sure. Right. And then, and so they hook you with that, but then the theology was yes. so was actually way scary, scarier than anything I was hearing at my dad's church. Yes. And yes. because my dad wasn't being very specific, I think, in his affirmations in what like what this church stood for. My dad was it was very I think his approach was like, I'm gonna lead by example, but I don't want to get too specific with it in my sermons. And he and I have talked a lot since then. And I think that it's important if you're a faith leader to be really specific about what you believe Mm -hmm. in and who you stand for. Okay. So because he wasn't doing that, I was filling in the gaps at these other youth events and shit like that. I just assumed that this was, I was taking this theology and filling in the gaps with what wasn't being said at my home church. And that's kind of how I got entrenched in a regressive theology. And then I, and then, then you just, then you start moving away from it. And yeah. as I started coming out, it just wasn't holding as much water because I was more curious for God and felt closer to God the more that I was being honest with myself and those yes. around me. And that was directly in conflict with what I was hearing that I would be feeling ashamed and I should be right. like unlovable and all this stuff. And I was like, I feel really loved and and whole though. Yes. <laughs> like every time, every time I would come out to someone. I would cry, but it was like this feeling of like relief and, and they were saying that I shouldn't be feeling that. I'm like, but I can't deny that that is as I, as I am being honest with myself and my nature and who God created me to be, I am becoming closer to my creator and people would be like, no, you can't feel that. And I'm like, but I, 
but I do. <laughs> right. They'd be like, well, that's that's a demon, or like right, that's right. a demon, or like that's the devil. And I'm like, appeal to the spiritual forces, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I it's interesting because, okay, so I grew up in the evangelical space my whole life, like fundamentalist, reformed, homeschooled. That was my world. And um, last, about two years ago, uh, my wife and I visited a friend of ours church in Texas, and they're Anglican, which is similar and like, you know, it's really, it's I think it's like, um, yeah, it's basically different stripes of the same thing. Very similar. And, you know, obviously I'm like, hey, I'm, what, 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 you know, when in Rome, I'm going to play ball here. And yeah. we're sitting there with the priest and we're doing our prayer time. And the priest is like, okay, now we're going to pray against the gentrification of our neighborhood. I'm like, oh shit. Like, this is like, this is awesome. This guy's like praying against that. Like they're, t- they're tuned in to like the community and like the social issues. And, and for my wife and I, we were like, wait, this doesn't make sense because in form it's very old school, right? Very like right. conservative, so to speak. But in theology, a lot of those mainline traditions are actually quite progressive. I mean, Episcopalians, mm-hmm. I believe are pretty much affirming now. Um, totally. You know, they're totally affirming. Right. Yeah. And it's like, again, you would never really know that by walking in, but then you have these other non-denominational churches you would think would be super progressive because their spaces are so progressive. They're so mm-hmm. with the times, but their theology oftentimes I found extremely dangerous and harmful and also not coherent. I mean, yeah. at, at all. Like, or not clear. Not clear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I, I really resonate with, with, with what you're saying. I'm like, yes, like it, it must be weird going from like this conservative you know, presentation. Um, and then to like this, like liberal presentation only to be hearing more conservative theology than what you heard in the other space. It had to be very mm-hmm. like twisting for you. So, so eventually at what point did you decide, you know what, this like non-denominational institutional church thing, it's just not for me. Was there a specific moment or did you kind of just fade out of it over time? I think I started to fade out with it over time. I just, it's like you stop craving something if you're not eating it. And I was, Mm -hmm. as I was becoming more curious, I was diving into scripture, but the more that I was doing that, I was less interested. I was watching sermons from home and things like that. I was just less interested to find an institution again Yeah, because I spent almost every day, like not every day, but like multiple days a week Mm -hmm. of my whole life until I was 18 in a church. I lived in the rectory. Like it's you, it's a hard thing to explain to people like, spiritually i was uh i was just brimming over with church shit but i felt very like empty with with god you know so they're understanding that they're different that they're very different things and i think i have a unique experience with that because i did grow up like in such a heavily religious environment i can see god from an institutionalized religion so i just started fading out and then it wasn't until I was my, my girlfriend and I, well, my wife, but we were girlfriends at the time. Um, we were more serious and it was coming up on Easter. Then we both had to almost come out to each other about wanting to go somewhere for Easter mm. to celebrate Easter. Right. We both had to be like, would it, like, I wouldn't hate it if we <laughs> right, went, right. wouldn't what it be crazy saying? if we just like went to church? <laughs> yeah, like, that'd be right. nuts. Um, yeah. Because the thing is, is like as queer people, you're uniquely aware of the mm. harm that's been caused by Christians. And so you do, I always find myself wanting to be really respectful of how I bring up religion, if at all, to people who have 
possibly, almost probably been harmed by people in the name of God. And so we did want to like really ease each other into the idea of finding a church. And we ended up finding a church that we really like, that we attend occasionally. I was a member of the vestry for a time. I was a really bad member of the vestry, to be honest. I'm really like, just, I'm too, I don't know. I think it, it just, it, church always, I think will feel a little different for me because I just know too much about the Uh institution. I know where the money goes when people Uh tithe. Like I understand, you know, my, I don't want to blast my dad, but like we'd been, we would be like running late for a dinner party and he'd be like, okay, okay, we don't have anything to bring. And he'd grab like communion wine and be like, they'll never know. Right, <laughs> like, yeah, right, and be right. like, we're bringing communion wine. That's what we have to bring. Right. And so that's like a, a diet example of like, you really see like what goes on and how it is run like a business. And hopefully yeah, yeah. you can run it as an ethical business if yes. possible under yeah. capitalism, but right, right, right. it still is, it's, it's, you know, it's a thing. And so I am wary of the institution and I, don't, I'm never going to be like, you have to belong to a church. I just think that if you want to have a relationship with God, that it's so personal and people are going to tell you that you have to do it this way. You have to do it whatever way. And there's, there's just simply like no right or wrong way to be known by our creator. Yeah. I think that's really well said on top of that too. I think that we have to be willing to realize that the institutional American church is not the only way for church to form, right? If the, if the church is a community of people, we don't have to have a 501 nonprofit, you know, C3 in a building to call it like mm-hmm. church. We're just so indoctrinated with like, this is church. You go to church, right. but not to speak trite, but biblically speaking, you know, the church is never a place you go to. It's a gathering of people. So I think that too, a lot of us are rediscovering that, you know, the foundational belief of like a church being a, a miniature family has mm-hmm. really been diminished for the sake of this like institutional corporate machine. And I think a lot of us are just trying to figure out how to reclaim that. Um, For you, you know, I'm kind of curious to know, like, so you, you're, you're coming out to yourself over, over time, you said, right. Where a lot of people who I've met in your position, who are friends of mine, you know, have, have really walked away from the faith because they've just been so damaged or they can't reconcile, you know, verses of um, the the so-called clobber, you know, clobber passages or whatever it is. How did you, like work through that for you? Was that just never an issue for you? Did you like have that anxiety of like, but God's word, quote unquote, says this so quote unquote clearly, you know, how did you feel about that working through it? I was definitely curious about the clobber verses. That was sort of what started my relationship with God becoming closer, like actually Mm. getting a, a personal foundation in faith that I'd always heard about started when I went into those clobber verses. Cause I really wanted to know, I was like, what, what are people saying all this about? Right. Um, and what, what ended up happening, the more that I would research and many queer people that I know, you end up having this like low key degree in theology, because you have to go back to those early translations. You have to find out right. how has this been interpreted? Who was paying for biblical translations into English at the turn of the 20th century? Like, how did this all start? Right. How did it all get here? Right. Who does it seek to benefit? Hmm. Then you're like, then you really get this appetite for, for like deconstructing, but I almost feel like we re, we use that word too much, but yeah. just really like picking apart and seeing what's left here. Yeah. Yeah. And as I started doing that, I just fell more at peace with my faith. And Mm. I fell more 
curious and in love with a divine creator and yes. the doubt and the mystery yes. and, and, and being able to have a complicated dynamic relationship with God for the first time, yes. you know, that it was no longer that, you know, a good example is like he, him pronouns, you know, breaking that down. Like why have we decided that it's this Zeus sky daddy? Right. Why? And that's what you picture as, as a kid. But what if God is greater than anything you can fathom in your mm-hmm. brain that you could see in a Disney movie? Right. And it's like, well, of course God would need to be right. You know, for, for <laughs> right. any of this to make sense. And so right. everything just started breaking down, but, but not in a way that was disheartening, but it was, so encouraging and just allowed me to lean into this mystery of, 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 of all of it. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I did, it started with the clobber verses actually. And rather than finding shame and, and being demoralized, I actually was like, Whoa, if this, if this is, I'm calling this into question, what else should be called into question? And then it made me more curious for the gospels and the gospels that are not even included in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it's crazy. It really is. Mother's day is coming. And if you don't get mom, the perfect gift, she won't be angry, just disappointed. So go with drinks from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery, send favorites near far or to wherever the moms in your life are. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com and get the best drinks to the best moms and plenty of time for Mother's Day. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Um, I'm going to give you my analogy for this. I think you'll appreciate it as a musician. So yeah. the way I see it is that for most of our lives, you picture like the Bible and like the Christian faith, like um, like a song in in Garage Band. All your tracks are laid out: your guitar, your vocals, whatever they are. Right? You have like 45, 60 tracks sometimes. Sure. And I feel like I've been taught that that this song called the Christian faith has only had like the drums unmuted, and they're like, "Okay, Tim, this is the song. Here's the whole thing. Just listen to this drum track." And I'm like. Okay, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like there's some yeah. pauses here and like why is there a symbol here? And then you have these people, like these amazing scholars and theologians, which we, we're so privileged to have access to for free. And they're like, right. actually, there's a guitar track here, a mute. And you're like, oh shit, like that makes more sense. And I'm like, wait, yeah. and here's a vocal track, unmute, and here's a bass track. You're like, oh my God, there's like 45 other subtracks happening. And then a lot of these like theologians, they start mixing it, right? They're kind of the producers. Mm-hmm. And some some guys like having a kick drum in your face more and that kind of gives me a headache but some guys love like the string section being really front and center right and that's really helped me kind of like reconcile how the christian faith is so dynamic and we all disagree on so many things but mm-hmm. also like that's kind of the beautiful part of it like we need each other to kind of understand different perspectives of like this very complicated song that we're trying mm-hmm. to unmute these tracks to just to understand what is actually happening here so yeah, that's no, my analogy. I think that's, that's a beautiful analogy. I really love that because that's kind of what it feels like when you start unpacking and yeah. when you almost, when you start teaching yourself the things that they, it sounds conspiratorial, I don't mean it to be, but that they don't want you to know. Right. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. Like when you start diving into what we know about Mary Magdalene, like right. when you start diving into like how were the gospels found yeah. and, and just the historical context that enriches the text so much. Yeah then it's like, well, it really does feel like you're hearing this symphony. 
And then you, and then you get a little missed. I mean, missed is putting it lightly where you're like, why did you only want me to hear the drum track (laughs) song sucks? Right. Like, like, yeah. And, and I think that, and, and the, it's just the beauty of how we're all finding each other now. I think through social media, I think, especially through basically spending a year indoors, we've all had to sort of find community in different ways. And I think it's through podcasts and music and social media apps for sure. Just connecting with people and hearing their thoughts and like pooling our resources together. Because I think that when the time is right, we will gather, you know, and we will like find ways, ethical ways of doing that, that we're going to make a change. We're going to do something different. Yeah, I really hope so. You know, I mean, it, it's it's hard to judge like where we are in history. It, I always think like, am I just overstating that like there's a real change happening and like in in like 30 years it's like just a little blip or is this like a big shift? And I feel like it's a big shift. It's just hard to always like judge like the temperament in the room. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Um, but I do want to talk about obviously your album. I mean, I got to be honest. So when it first dropped, I I, I downloaded it put in my headphones. And I'm like, all right, let me go through this scene. Just listen. And at first I like the first song Bethlehem, which by the way, lyrically I think is my favorite on the album personally. Thank um, you. And I was listening to it. I'm like, I, I will be totally honest and transparent with you. I was like, do it. Oh, this kind of rubs up against like my like Christian sensibilities, you know, like, Ooh, this might be too raw for a Christian album. I'm like, wait, Tim, you have to calm down and just listen to the artistry and listen to that. This is someone's like art on, you know, recorded and, 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 jump into their experience and just, you know, soak it in. And once I did that, I was like, wow, like this is really powerful because you mentioned that we talked about a little while ago that CCM is so surface level and not to sound like, like you said, you know, kind of, I don't know, like bland, but it's just so positive, you know, like it's always like over the top, like you're going to see that victory, your blessings right around the corner. And there's no room for like lament. There's no room for like, but God didn't show up. Like my friend did pass away of cancer. Like the miracle never happened. Now what do I do? And I feel like your album gave space of like, actually my life is not all about victory. In fact, I've had like real hurt and I'm still processing this. So what was like the writing process? You know, you're getting, you have all these thoughts. How do you organize them into like song one, song two? And did you have someone helping you or is is this just all you straight up? Yeah, this was all me um, except for, there's a little bit of my friend Connor's piano on the song chicken. Okay. Um, and I'm, he's an incredible pianist and he literally was passing through the neighborhood and like flew in and did keys I real like quick. So I'm, I love that. And I want to play with him again more cause he's just insane. Mm. Um, and I recorded everything on my USB mic in this room. So I recorded on like a blue Yeti, you know, oh, sound. Yeah. So it's, oh, like, yeah. it's like this, it's this yep. mic. <laughs> I got one and, yeah. um, I really just didn't have access to a studio at the time. And I don't really have high tech sound equipment, but I was like, listen, I, I have these songs written and I, I want to put something out there. I want right. to contribute to, I think the discourse that we're seeing this yeah. moment that we're having, um, what feels a lot like a, a, an awakening, a compassionate, yes. um, and a, a compassionate and righteous awakening with, for so many Christians who've just yeah. really been fed up. Yeah. And I wanted to contribute something and end up being preacher's kid, but it was, um, all kind of like written at different times. But once I put out Jesus from Texas in December, I put out on SoundCloud kind of like mm-hmm. a test track. Sometimes I do that just to see like how, how people are receiving a song. Yeah. If it's clear. Um, I think then I knew I was like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm, on the right track. I think that this is what I should be writing about. And 
and I was nervous about releasing a song that was so specific and personal that almost was unresolved because the, the situation that that mm. song sort of talks about is it's not resolved mm. and that other people were willing to sit with me in that, in that lament, you know, yes, was yes. heartening in a mm. sense and also disheartening because it sucks that so many people can relate to that, but also, yes. you know what, who, we got to talk about it. And yes. my, my yes. way of doing that is through art. Totally. Um, so I did say earlier, I was like, Hey, like, you know, was this, was this intentionally kind of like a, a raw recording? Cause I mean, it, it worked out in your favor, Grace, because this, this, Thank the lyrics you. are so raw, you know? So like, even if, you know, cause you're saying like, listen, all I have is this microphone. So it kind of is what it is, but that really plays to the strength of the album. Because if I feel like if you walked into a studio, or, or, or if you had some producer working with you, right? Because people can make amazing songs on their computers. And this was right. like really polished and like really full. And like, there were, and like there were tons of layers to it and like all these different synth tracks. It might almost kind of like be, it would be like competing and kind of grinding against the rawness of those lyrics, right? So do you yeah. think like, I mean, like I'm sure you're making more music. Are you looking to like, kind of go up like that like production level or do you want to kind of keep it kind of this raw feel almost kind of like brand newish i'm not sure if you listen to brand new yeah like, yeah like a very like you know like brand new because their tracks are always very raw recording as well mm -hmm. if you listen to any of their stuff it's very like not polished but that's what makes them so good you know mm -hmm. um so is that is that kind of your plan going forward so I do have a release coming out on Friday that is of a similar vein. So it's like my USB mic. And then there's one song that my friend had a real mic for and he recorded, but it's still just at home, just with my guitar, one take, that type of thing. Okay. Um, so I still really like, especially as an indie artist, like being able to record something and just get it out to people yeah. and just yeah. not have to sit on anything for too uh, long. Uh, I think I that'll that. always be something. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I feel like, you know, music is is just how I express myself. It's, and I, and I don't want to hold back if I don't need to. Right. So I always will want to connect with people in that way and let people know just like what I'm up to, what's on my heart. But I also just got done at a studio for the, like for the first time with this new, um, sort of inspiration in my songwriting. Okay. And we recorded something that I think is really special and it's so much bigger like the scope of it. Like we had real drums on it. Nice. Um, good job. Good yeah. Job. <laughs> I was, I saying real high, which oh. is not use, which is like not something that you would have expected from preacher's kid. I just, sure. I gave it my all Tim and I'm, I'm proud really excited for people to hear it. And I want to have, I, I like that mix. You know, I hope that even if I can record a full length record in a proper studio one day, which yeah. I absolutely would love, sure. that I'm still someone who's going to just like, shoot out um some usb mixes when i can because i'm always writing and i never want to like rein that in i get that um and please um from for, as a drummer please do me one favor never ever okay. ever let someone put in synthetic drums i don't care what they tell you having a real drummer you can never listen to me mr producer whoever this is you can never replicate a real drummer via like logic or pro tools it just cannot happen so Thank you for using real drums on this song. I'm 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 I, honored. Thank you. I will tell you when um, this guy came through. His name is Chris, and he's actually the drummer for this band called The Internet, and they're really cool. Sweet. And um, it's so it's next level. Like it, it's something really different and very rare. When you've heard your song for a while, you've been messing uh -huh. around with a few tracks, uh -huh. and a drummer comes through and just like yep. has this idea. And it was so different than what I'd expected. 
when maybe I thought of he was going to do the drums and it's better, far and away better. It sounds so cool. It's and just big. Yes. Meaty, like meaty drums. Yes, it just I'm all adds about this, it. like depth. Give me so that slap. Cool. Uh, so yeah. when's that song coming out? Is that a few months out, a few weeks out? I think I think it's probably a few months out. Okay. I really feel strongly about it, and I want to give it the proper release. Maybe shoot a video or something. I so I think that. that that's probably a few months. Maybe, hopefully, not more than a few months, though. Well, I'm I'm excited to hear it for sure. So I can't let, wait for you to hear it. Yeah. Well, honestly, as a drummer, I will be continuing the drum work. I'm sure it's great. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, I am I'm, honestly I'm excited because I think it is like being able to be versatile and have like you know some full band stuff, some singer songwriter, more you know raw. Having both is good. I'm not sure if you know the band My Epic. I'm a big fan of them, mm-hmm. um, and they do a lot of like they're like a pretty heavy like rock band lyrically. I think they're great, but they also did the, did this like acoustic album, and it's just good to have that versatility. Yeah. Um. So I want to talk about the release. All right. So you release this this album. It explodes, top of the charts. What kind of feedback are you getting from the CCM world? Have you gotten anything? Because I saw the review from was it TGC Together for the Gospel or one of them? Like the, it's um, Gospel Coalition. The gospel Coalition. Oh yeah. my gosh! Like I honestly, I'll be I'll be honest. I went on their Instagram page and tore that guy a new one, respectfully. <laughs> but I was like, this is the problem a with the church. <laughs> new one. A respectful middle finger to you, sir. You know, it was it was very much like this is the problem with the church. And I was just like so fired up because I read the review. I'm like, this guy doesn't get it at all like you're so stuck in your ultra conservative like evangelical theology you can't yeah. see like what's happening here so what kind of feedback have you gotten have you i'm sure you've gotten some positive have you gotten negative feedback as well the positive feedback has been overwhelming right. and that's been the majority fortunately Good. but yeah, of course awesome. i think with any sort of milestone that would be reached yeah um so like when I, they played us on NPR, which was really cool. Yeah, that's when awesome. we went number one, which was really cool. Like anything, like when the Washington Post wrote about it, any any of that would also correlate with, with block Bible texts, repent. Yes, um, yes. You know, it's it's picked up by like Gospel Coalition, and it's interesting because the song that's coming out on Friday was directly inspired by that review because the whole thing was like she's sad. She's too sad. She's like, but they didn't, I thought it was actually really interesting too, because it was pretty tactful to not mention anything about gay stuff. If I recall, I, if I remember incorrectly, I don't think they really talk about that. They just talk about how it's not a Christian record because it's like, you're just living in the sadness. So the song that's coming out on Friday is a happy song about being gay. And I'm happy that God like gave me this, I view my queerness as a blessing. You know, it's a different lens by which to experience the world. And I think it's made me like being able to accept myself and who Mm. I was created to be has made me a better person and a better Christian. And so I wrote a song about it and I hope they hate it. Um, actually I hope (laughs) they like it. I hope they do like it, but I think they'll hate it. (laughs) Have you demoed that online? Yeah. Okay. Thank God for that. Yes. I love that. I think like you wrote that. You're like, Hey, I just wrote, I wrote this hook in response to this. I was like, you know, that's a good hook. And I'm glad you're doing something (laughs) with it because you're right. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I'm like, when I read that part, I'm like, do you know what Lamentations is? Like, do you know what Ecclesiastes Like, have you read your own Bible? Like, have you read the Bible? Half the Old Testament is them mourning their laments. And no one is sad in the Bible. No one is sad. Jesus, you know, you know, Jesus, he never wept, actually. Never wept. That's the thing. That's the Stephen Furtick translation, you know? Like, Jesus yeah. asterisk never wept. You know? <laughs> 
That's like the real conspiratorial. That's what they don't want you to know. <laughs> Jesus was never sad. Yes. Shocker. So, I mean, man, that's like, okay. Yeah. So I, I read that review and it's, I think it's just kind of a bummer, man. Like, I, I'm you know, as we kind of get ready to land this plane because we, we covered so many different topics. I want to like get your thoughts on. Do you think like the evangelical church is hearing you or hearing me? Like for instance, I have this new evangelicals account. I'm trying to bridge this tension, right? Like I'm not one of these. I'm not a dirty. I'm not a dirty rotten church kids account, right? Like I get their their angst and their anger. I'm with them on so much of it. Yeah, they're but great. I'm, yeah, they're they're awesome. But I'm also like, okay, guys. But like, can we, for me, I'm like, can we try and save something here? Can we wrestle in this tension? And so I don't feel even like me, Mister. Like guys, I grew up in your institution my your my whole life. You know, I'm a Jesus person. I don't feel like I'm hurt half the time. Do you feel like? Like they're starting to listen. Is there any hope going forward? Uh, I think there's always hope. I really do. Cause I, cause I always believe that the best is yet to come. I, I just do. I know that that's kind of a corny Christian place too, but that's right. just, that's just me. Right. Are they hearing us? I think yes. Sometimes hmm. I also think that sometimes it feels like they're hearing just what they want to hear right? or they're offering just what they want to offer. So mm-hmm. I think the question that I often ask with LGBTQ plus issues specifically, but I really think you can widen this to any sort of issue of social justice. Totally. 100%. Just ask someone on the conservative evangelical side, Hey, have you ever spent a day, a week, yeah. a month yeah. looking into sermons from a different perspective right. on what you believe. Right. Have you spent that time? Because as a queer person, I've heard your anti-gay sermons. Yes. I've heard a lot of them. Right. I sometimes still look them up to just check my work. <laughs> right. Do you ever do the same for an affirming theology? If right. you don't, then I have to wonder if you're choosing to be exclusionary in your beliefs. Yes. Because there, there are other ways to love people and include people. Yes. And there are other ways to be involved in social justice, racial justice in our communities actively. There's theology that supports that from, you know, biblical scholars and pastors and leaders. Are you looking yes. for that or are you not? So I think that that's, I, I just think that we've got to find a way to not just get people to listen to like the headline, but to on their own, right. Do that work. Yeah. You know, do a little bit of research on your own rather than see the, the headline queer Christian top of Christian music charts or whatever, and then blast off a response. Yeah. Learn about me. Where am I coming from? Find out if you agree and disagree and then, you know, shoot off a repent in three weeks if you really (laughs) feel strongly the other way. But yeah, yeah, I think that that, do I think that there's hope? Yes, of course. I think there's hope. Do I think that they're listening partially and we need Mm -hmm. to figure out how to get people to listen wholly in order for us to create change? Yeah, I don't know how to my my big thing that I see is I I don't know how to undo the unholy marriage of conservative politics and media with like what has become the evangelical movement. You know, like for a lot of us including myself, 2016 was such a watershed moment of like me going, "Okay, guys, like it's obvious, right? Trump is not a good candidate. Like we're not going to vote for him, right? Like this is clear. Like he wants to grab women by the crotch." 
Maybe we shouldn't vote for this guy. And then seeing everyone just like rally around him and like justify it. Well, not, you know, not everyone, but but a, a lot of so many. Yeah, like over, the majority. I would say the, the overwhelming majority. It's 80%. Yeah. 80% of white evangelicals voted for Trump, like twice, you know. And to see that was like, uh, okay, we're way farther apart than I thought. And I'm concerned because, you know, my big thing right now is I feel like pastors don't realize that their congregations are being discipled by right-wing media, not by them. Like they think that they're that they're discipling their congregations, but really it's Charlie Kirk, it's Ben Shapiro, it's Rush Limbaugh, it's Candace Owens. That's who's informing their that audience. And the reason why I say that is because whenever something like you know um, social justice makes the headlines, whether it's the most recent you know um, um, co- conviction of Derek Chauvin um, or right. whoever, you know, there's all of a sudden whatever Charlie Kirk is saying, I start seeing from like my friends on Facebook, like it's the same talking points. And I just don't know how to undo that because we're so convinced that like God and country are like, you know, they're one and the same and they're, they're mm-hmm. obviously not. We, we know right. that. I don't know how to undo that. That's where I get stuck. I, th- I think that it, I agree. I mean, that's, that's going to be sort of the task of our generation and our lives is to figure out how to undo that within our own communities and take responsibility for that. You know, like as members of the Christian faith, you know, we have to own that that is what's happened within the white evangelical community and we need to work to dismantle it. I'm only speculating because I feel like we're so far from any point of resolution or liberation, but I do think that platforming devout Christians who are also committed to social justice yes. is probably going to be the key. We we just do not have v- that many voices, although I do think that we're on the wave of change right now who are yeah. like, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and I yes. do my best to exemplify the interpretation of the gospels that I think is right. And by doing that, I believe that Black Lives Matter and I right. believe in LGBTQ plus inclusion. I, I think that we we are not we don't really have like a rival voice to let other Christians know like there is another way, you know, and yes. that these people are candidly bad faith actors to work for a political agenda that doesn't serve to love people. I totally agree with you. That's so well said, because you're right. What I tell people is like, friends, because of my faith, I'm this way. You know, and listen, I can't, I had to grow out of conservative theology. Like, like this yeah. Tim you're talking to is not the same Tim from like 10 years ago, right? Like it's been a journey for me to really, um, you know, work on my LGBTQ affirming stance. And even though I'm still wrestling through some of the theology, tell myself, regardless of that, doesn't change how I love people and how I include them. Mm-hmm. They have the LGBTQ community must be included in church, like hands down. I don't care if you agree or not. It's not about that. It's about that they have to be included. And we can talk as friends and wrestle through this stuff together, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and I, I say that because I believe that the Bible and that Jesus showed that every human is made in God's image and that God's blessing to the world is expanding outward, first to the Jew, mm-hmm. now to the Gentile. So it's not even like, you know, because oftentimes the the slander is, well, you're just twisting scripture. Like you're just too progressive. It's like, actually, I think I'm actually more consistent with this Jesus ethic than you are, you know, because Mm -hmm. clearly some people's lives don't matter as much than other people's lives for you based on their quote unquote criminality in the eyes of an American state or not. Right. So I'm with you on that. I think we have to, and, and there are some names who are growing, but there's so much work to do to explain to people that this is a valid 
theological outworking that is consistent with the Jesus ethic. And it's our faith that is fueling this, not anything mm-hmm. else. And I'm hoping that over time we can we can get there. But sometimes I feel like the battle is very much uphill. I mean, it's still. uphill. We're, we, we have, like, they are better funded. They are better right. known. They're more right. established. Like, right. we, like you were saying, it really does feel like we're at sort of the beginning of a movement of an exciting, right. peri- an exciting period of time. Yeah. But that means that, you know, our, our work is going to be cut out for us. Yeah. It's just, it just feels really cool because for the first time it's like, we're calling out to each other and we're, we're hearing, we're hearing each other. We're finding each other. Whereas yeah. before, um, it sometimes you'd feel alone, you know, totally. and now it's like, no, 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 we were never alone. Yep. I think that they almost like they, I, I really don't mean to sound so like, they, like they, I right. just watched the QAnon documentary, which is why I don't want to sound HBO? too conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's crazy. So I don't want to be like what they don't want you to know. <laughs> but like, I do think that the, the, I would say like the Christian, like the white evangelical Christian majority in this country, like they never wanted people who deconstructed to gather because then we'd all share our stories and be like, wait, you're, you're right. I'm hearing your story about purity culture. I'm hearing this about how toxic masculinity impacted you and how you felt excluded due to racism. And this is like all that we're all finding our stories from different walks of life. And we're saying, you know what? let like get in losers. Like we're all fucking here now and we can do things better, you know, like cast this out, cast out anyone who doesn't toe the line. And we're going to be the outcasts who found each other and are going to accept everyone at our table. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, one of, when I was creating the the new evangelicals a few months ago, one of the things I thought about was like the slogan of, you know, more seats at the table. Like that's, that's the hope, right? It's like, we need more seats at the table. We're able to share in the experience so we can all learn that different perspectives matter. That's why the world's so diverse. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, last question for you. And again, thanks for your time and for the conversation. Yeah, thank you so I much for like, having me. I feel like each topic we, we hit, we can go like a, a mile deep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so a question that I'm, I'm kind of curious to know. So me as like, you know, just a white cisgendered male never had an experience that you went through, you know, regarding sexuality and wrestling through that. How can people like me love the LGBTQ community better? Because I'm really like wrestling through that where it's like, I'm, I watch, I'm trying to watch my language, trying to watch like the titles I put on, you know, like I'm just trying to be so aware of that, but also like I'm me. I just don't have that background or experience to speak to it. So Mm. how can people like myself just, you know, be more inclusive and more loving to this community that really has been so marginalized and hurt by the American evangelical church? Yeah, I I think the first step is just acknowledging the harm. I don't think you can heal until you recognize the harm. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really important. I think just finding um, LGBTQ plus voices to listen to um, and centering those voices when you're having these conversations, you're having this wrestling. Another thing that is still so super helpful for me in my own life is just finding affirming sermons mm. um, that speak to specific questions that you might have, because we, we do have the disadvantage of having grown up mostly with the regressive exclusionary theology. Right. Um, and so I think just doing, you have, you have like, we have to do the catch up work. Basically we have to do yeah. the homework to find the, the affirming sermons that are out there. that are just as beautiful. I I've wept on YouTube watching sermons before. And um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, oh, oh, I think it's important to just be specific 
in general, but for the LGBTQ plus community, especially to whichever community you're allied to, just be really specific so that people know when they're in conversation with you. I mean, don't be weird. Don't like bring it up out of the blue, but just like that you, that people should know that um, you're a safe person to talk to, that, that you are um, a safe place online. And that if you are going to make a mistake, I mean, I've like misgendered people before by accident. I think Mm. a lot of like, we're all going to make mistakes as we learn about communities that have not been represented for so long in trying to be inclusive. It is possible that mistakes will be made just to own it, move on. And that's what that's 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 the advice that I would say, but I ultimately just be open and specific to what you believe and who you stand for. Yeah, that's really well said. Well, Grace, thank you again for coming on. I appreciate Thank you for having me. All of your wisdom and insight and the hilarity. I mean, I learned so many new terms thanks to you. <laughs> Oh, no, that's a whole other podcast episode. Yeah. Gay maybe, terms maybe. of grace. <laughs> Round two, you know, but um, last thing, where can we find you? Plug away all your stuff. You know, where, where's sure. your social media presence, all that good stuff. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Grace Baldridge. You can find me on TikTok at The Baldridges. It's the account that I have with my wife. And you can listen to all my music under my artist name, which is Semler, S-E-M-L-E-R. And my latest project is Preacher's Kid. But probably by the time this comes out, um, I'll have a project out called Thank God for That. So take a listen and uh, hope to see you on tour soon. Oh, oh, a tour. Whoa, dropping big bombs. Okay. Whoa. If you come to the East Coast, I got a spare room for you. You and your wife are more than Hell welcome. Yeah. So. Where are you based? I'm right in New Jersey outside of Philly. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay, I'm like cool. a 10-minute drive from Philadelphia. So. Nice. Yeah, man. I'll get you a cheesesteak if you eat meat. I'm not sure if you're vegan or oh, not. Oh, I would. I actually would. I don't eat meat often, but for a cheesesteak, yeah. Hell it's yeah. my treat if you're ever in town. Okay. All right. Thanks again. In America, it's estimated that 4% of people in prison are actually innocent. When I saw them for the very first time, like I knew who my jury was going to be doing trial. To be honest, I knew I lost them. In 2002, the state of Georgia found Kerry guilty for his alleged involvement in a vicious rape. Only a small percentage of those people have their convictions overturned. You know, as one great justice said uh, many years ago, we don't find our witnesses from church pews. What series of events led to Carrie's wrongful conviction? Could this happen to anyone? What finally convinced the courts to overturn his conviction? From Zapier, in partnership with the Georgia Innocence Project, this is The 4%. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts or visit zapier.com forward slash resources forward slash podcasts to learn more. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.